This is a load management dialogue presented by PLMA. And here you'll discover practitioner perspectives on flexible energy load management, demand response, distribute, distributed energy resources, and managed charging. Today's session offers a very important conversation about climate and the many challenges associated with its visible changes around us. Um, we'll talk a little bit about the impact of PLMA's work and also opportunities for new approaches. The discussion today will be led by Lee Cravet, who is the host of the podcast, The Climate Champions. And Lee is going to be speaking today with three PLMA leaders. And now it is my pleasure to hand the floor to Ross Malmi, who is a past PLMA board chair and CEO of Malmi Energy Consulting. Ross, can you say a few words about the topic and introduce our speakers and get us underway, please? Thank you, Thank you very much, Judy, and, and uh, welcome everybody to uh, to this uh, webcast. And uh, exciting subject, uh, Lee is is a, definitely an expert on on the mitigation of of, of climate uh, change, and uh, he is the CEO of Cravette Energy Energy Innovations for the last five years. Uh, prior to that, he uh, he was in charge of the demand response programs at San Diego Gas and Electric. I think he tried tried to retire, but uh, was unsuccessful at that. But just like I, I have been, and felt that he needed to, he had more to contribute, and, and he certainly does with uh, the, uh, the 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 program that he has underway with, with the Climate Champions, which is really, if you haven't had a chance to listen to these, these, these are really entertaining. Um, so joining me uh, on on this in this panel uh, will be Jenny Rom. Jen, Jenny is. Uh, with Schneider Electric. She's also on the executive committee of, of PLMA, and she's a senior manager of utility solutions at, at Schneider Electric. And also I'll be joined by, by Michael Brown. Michael Brown is a director of, of energy solutions at, at NV Energy, past chairman of, of, of the PLMA, and also a co-chair with me on the uh, international uh, interest group. So without further ado, take it away, Lee. Well, thank you very much, Judy, and thank you very much, Ross. Um, you said the retire word. I was told by one of my former bosses, uh, ex-president of Senio Gas and Electric, never to even say the word. Just don't say the word. So I try not to. Um, let's see. So, yeah, so we, I'm just going to ask you a bunch of questions that I ask on my podcast a little bit simplified and quicker because we don't have as much time. And there were three of you. I usually just interview one person. But first off, I'd like to know what inspired you? What was your motivating moment that got you engaged in the fight against climate change? Michael, do you want to start us off? <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. I, yeah, I'd be, be happy to. Um, certainly, I... I, I um, that, that is an interesting question. I think it's for, for me kind of a, it, it's been a lifelong journey. I, I've, when I was in my formative years as a child, I did a lot of time in scouting and as a scout, you, you spend a lot of time outdoors. You spend a lot of time in service and conservation projects and, and just uh, learning about the environment. Uh, but at some point, right, you have to figure out how you're going to make money and, and live your life. And, and when I went to school, I studied international relations and chemistry right because i got a little bit of this a lot of the social sciences and then some hard sciences i still didn't know what it what what quite what it was i wanted to do uh but 
through all of those experiences, uh, you know, even in college, I, I, part of my extracurricular activities were related to environmental organizations. Uh, but afterwards, when you know, and I was sitting down trying to pull all these things together, what you know, my college roommate uh, Mark Sigrist, he gave me a book. He said, "I think you'll like this." It was Daniel Jurgen's The Prize, and I was not able to put this thing down. And when I got finished reading this book, a lot of the dots and the life experiences that I had started to come together. So, you know, I know exactly what I want to do, right? I, I want to get into this energy industry, but I want to focus it on demand side management and energy efficiency from the perspective of helping to resolve conflict right so you know, in in the early days what comes out of those pages and in, in in the prize is uh you know this theme of the global conflict that is caused and the competition derived from the you know fossil fuel based economy uh and this fight over resources and so i thought all right well from an energy independence perspective you know, I can do a couple things. I can help, you know, in my own small way, if I focus on energy efficiency projects, uh, I can help with energy independence and that will help the environment and that will help reduce conflict in the world. Uh, and so I picked up the phone and I started calling different organizations to figure out how I could help. Uh, and I wound up with a guy on the phone named Larry Good. He, at the time, he was working in Washington, D.C., and he was the president of the National Capital Chapter, the Association of Energy Engineers. I told him what, he, what I wanted to do. He's like, oh. He's like, okay, well, I can help you with that. Why don't you come work for me? <laughs> and he was an independent consultant. I said, okay. And so I went and, and I worked. Uh, I started out in Larry's kitchen, and he taught me the ropes. And then uh, launched my journey and and starting out in energy efficiency, eventually into to demand response. And so that's kind of that's kind of how I got where that's kind of how I got started. Yeah, that's that's a great story. Hey, Jenny, can you talk about your motivating moment? You're on mute. You're on mute. My journey is a lot less intentional than than Michael's. <laughs> um, I followed cool work and ended up in the energy industry um, and working for a utility a long time ago, more than two decades, less than four. Um, and for me, it's about using the resources we have wisely. Um, there's no such thing, um, There, I don't believe there's any such thing as totally clean energy. Um, there's sources that are better than others, but everything has an impact. So for me, it's about using the resources in the best way to do the least amount of harm and that eventually leads you to you know being uh worried about the climate and whatnot but um for me it was a, it was answering a smaller question and but it ends up you know part of a larger answer and uh ross so so, so my journey is maybe maybe a bit different maybe not not quite as quite as interesting um, and as, as you know, I'm I'm an engineer, and what what sort of motivated me, what motivates me uh, are things like physics and economics. And uh, w way back uh, around 2000, when 
I was uh, actually part of the, the great first electri electricity train wreck in California. Do you remember that? Um, and I and I had this goofy idea if, if we had ever get the the retail electricity customer to compete against supply in the wholesale market, we'd mitigate a bunch of this Enron craziness. So I started a demand response company, not really even knowing what it was. And um, and uh, that sort of kind of grew and I already became a, a believer that that the demand side was in the cleanest megawatt you ever generate is the one you never never generate. Right. And and and, and grew from there. And when I began to understand the the you know the necessity from a physics standpoint of of, of the demand side to be able to achieve the, these decarbonization decarbonization objectives is as we start to lose you know inertia on the system as we start adding more you know solar for for example to the system and we lose we lose inertia things like demand response and energy storage are, are hugely important um, and 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 then as we began to really understand the economics of the of the demand side and the economics. Of of decarbonization, that's what uh, really got me going on it. I hadn't planned to, but I'm going to throw in my answer for this too. <laughs> I, I was in charge for uh, at Sandio Gas and Electric. I was in charge of IT infrastructure when the fires hit back in 2003. Everybody else, my neighbors, they were all leaving San Diego. I was driving into the fire. I had ash on my car, and once it was over and we got through the emergency. It was obvious what had caused it, you know, the, that change. We had never had winds like that in San Diego's history, so we didn't design the system for those kind of winds. And I wanted to help, you know, just I really got a lot out of helping during the fire and driving in rather than out. And I wanted to continue that feeling of, you know, doing something good for the world. So that's what um, got me going. Um, so can you talk more in detail? We'll start this time with Jenny about what you or your company or PLMA, PLMA from your perspective, what you're doing to help mitigate climate change. So um, I, I said I, I followed, you know, cool work and I ended up working for what I think is one of the coolest companies around. So Schneider Electric really walks the talk when it comes to um, sustainability. So uh, we've been ranked for 12 years now by the corporate knights in their global 100 and we're actually first in our peer group there we're number one in uh the industry in our industry sector for the dow jones sustainability index for 12 years in a row now um and we've been uh designated as one of the 100 most ethical companies by ethosphere again for 12 years in a row so it's not just that we're we got on this bandwagon five years ago it's been work that we've been doing and it's really part of the company culture. Um, so that that part is super exciting that I ended up in a company that really that really does do the work. And e I mean, even to the point of like, you know, getting our supply chain to be, you know, zero CO2 um, in the future. That part is cool. I've also been involved with PLMA for quite a while. And I I have the belief that we are not going to be able to integrate all of these intermittent resources without some ability to do control of those resources, whether it's storage, whether it's demand reduction, whether it's increasing demand at other times, um, because you have this intermittent resource that you need to, um, to to soak up and use that that resource and maybe forego using a dirty resource later. So I think demand management is really the the way that we are going to achieve as uh, a more sustainable energy system. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, I think it's a big piece for sure. I have this saying, all arrows in the quiver. And I think that's a very important arrow uh, yeah. out there. Russ? You know, um, uh, when we, um, several people that have been around Penalty a long time, including myself, and when we started this organization, I, I'd say we were a, a bit of a silo. I mean, we would demand response was really weren't really, really connected to energy efficiency, not so much connected to renewable energy, but as as, we, as we've morphed over time, and I think this organization has done a, a great good job of uh, being able to to uh, to change and, and, and with the industry and demand response. Really, I look at demand response now as being one of a portfolio of DERs, and 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 demand response is is going to complement um, other DERs like solar and storage, and it's going to compete against them. And I agree with 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 Jenny that that there, we we need to ha- now have you know a system. Well, we, we'll call it we'll call it a DERMS. You mean what what used to, we used to call it a, a DRMS is is now going to have to be able to be modified and and expanded to to be, become a DERMS. And these are going to be the the uh, uh, the essence we're going to have to have in order to 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 achieve those those decarbon decarbonization objectives. And even just recently, in the last twelve months, you know, this organization has really taken on the uh, um, the task of of electricity charging infrastructure. And and we now have an interest group on on, on EVs and you know. Uh, 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 electrification of transportation is going to be the biggest DER of them all, I believe, uh, going forward. And it's going to get an integration of that into into the grid is going to be hugely important. And I think we'll we'll have a, a a really strong leadership role in that. Yeah, EVs are super exciting because they're so flexible. You you have choices of when to charge. You can discharge. I mean, there's a lot to solve, but it's very exciting uh, where that can go. Uh, and Michael. Yeah, I'm going to lean in and, and leverage on, on some of Ross's comments. Um, so from a PLMA perspective, we've, we've been working to be a lot more explicit about how load management and load flexibility can support decarbonization. And we think it's not well understood, right? That this global fight against climate change has so many different dimensions and aspects. Uh, there's so much money flowing around for mitigation and, and adaptation. And and we're, we, we want to make sure that you said all the arrows, right? We, we say we're one of the tools in the tool chest that can also help achieve decarbonization objectives by growing and expanding our capabilities to deploy load flexibility programs and technology. So we've established, we actually have a specific strategic task force, right? It's, it's headed up by Dave Allspector and, and it came out of one of our strategic retreats. It was uh, Rich Barone and, and Robin Maslowski really leaned into setting up this task force and in, in getting it, it rolling. And it's all about trying to trying to recruit new folks to PLMA uh, that are involved in the fight for climate change, but may not understand what demand response is or what load flexibility is or or how it does the things that Jenny talked about. Right. It helps increase the adoption of renewables by helping deal with the volatility. Uh, and so we're, we're trying to create materials and case studies. Uh, and establish some best practices to help people understand. Well, what's our niche? You know, what what's our role? 
uh, in this industry. Uh, we've we've got many different you know you know types of of, of members. Well, well, okay, we've got utilities, right? We've got energy service providers. We've got consultants, uh, and and they are all kind of you know leaning in. I would say to figure out um, the the details, right? We've got a lot of objectives. We've got a lot of ideas, but it's it's really hard, right, to figure out the details. Ross mentioned DERMs. Oh my goodness, it's really hard to <laughs> figure out how to how to actually get it implemented and and working. And so that's what that's what PLMA is doing. We're we're leading in. Uh, we're helping. We're pulling the practitioners together. We're sharing best practices, and we're helping people, you know, figure out the the, the hard stuff and the, the details of how we actually implement the technology and, and the programs. You know, it's funny that you mentioned DERMS because I think it was back in 2012, I was having a meeting with Terry Moan, and he said, we have to put DERMS in our general rate case. I was like, DERMS, what is that? And and really, <laughs> it was a term that wasn't out there very much, and I did put it in the rate case, and I I had to explain it many times to many people, but now it's definitely here. And I think most people understand what we need there and why. Um, uh, Ross, uh, can you talk about a big success, a success you're really proud of? And it could be with regards to a PLMA or something else, if you'd like. Well, I'll, I'll talk a, a bit about um, a success that, that Michael and I and I had together. This was back when I first started in the consulting business, and I actually went to um, I went to uh, the U.S. Green Building Council. If you know those guys, and these are the guys that do the lead certification of buildings. And I went to them and said, "Hey, this this lead program you got is really cool. You guys certify a million and a half square feet a day in lead, but why is it that these commercial buildings that consume 30, 40 percent of the power in the country?" 99.5% of them are connected to electricity internet in real time. And they went, huh, we're square foot people. I said, well, you know, we're kind of megawatt folks. How about we help you and we'll we'll, we'll write a new lead credit of how, what it means to connect a commercial building to the grid and sort of what are the use cases and what are the economics and, you know, what are the environmental benefits? And so we, we, wrote, we wrote that and, and, then, and then we went to them and said, um, when you guys buy, write it, put out a new lead credit, you know, you kind of just put it out there and see what happens. This is the first time you've ever reached across the meter. How about we put some marketing behind it? I said, what do you mean? Said, well, why don't you let me talk to a few utility friends of mine? Michael Brown was one of them. <laughs> and we, we recruited Southern California Edison and NV Energy to uh, to a program with us. And we went to every lead program behind those utilities and, and here's said, here's here's what this great, wonderful grid is. Here's what it means to connect your building to the grid. Here's here's some of the use cases and some of the services that you can provide to the grid. And here's what the economic, economics look like. And here are the people like Schneider Electric that can help you do that. <laughs> um, and we we also brought along the Environmental Defense Fund and um, uh, Lawrence Berkeley National Labs to kind of answer the question of saying, okay, now that we got this portfolio of buildings providing these services to the grid, what does that mean, really? What does that mean from a reliability standpoint? What does that mean from an economic standpoint? And what does that mean from an environmental outcome standpoint? And um, and what happened out of that is the Environmental Defense Fund, in particular, took up the took up the the uh, 
the uh, the, the mantle, so to speak, to go and 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 start a campaign of how do we how do we get the U.S. commercial building fleet grid connected, and how many tens of thousands of megawatts of generation do we never build because of that? Yeah, yeah, that's exciting. And, and um, leave, leave, yeah. I do one thing. There's one thing I, I neglected to do at the beginning of this, and that's yeah. for the audience. If you have questions for for the, this panel, please put them in the chat. We'll pick them up. Hi, Jenny. You want to take a shot at that biggest uh, success story you're proud of? You know, I don't have a, a big one that comes to mind. It's a lot of little ones. Um, I work a lot with utilities across the country. And, you know, when we're able to help them get closer to their end users, help their end users understand when is a good time and a bad time to be using energy, it helps the grid, it helps everybody's financials. So um, I, I celebrate a lot the the little the little victories that happen every day. And none of them are gigantic, but um, I, I think I heard the quote, you know, uh, many small streams make a river. So, um, you know, that's that's the part that I, I enjoy is is just helping um, helping those little successes along the way. Yeah, I was in Greece last year or earlier this year, and I took a hike up this mountain, uh, Meteora, and my guide found out what I did for a living. I guess my buddy told him, and he said, the guide said, that's like digging a, digging a hole in the ocean. You know, you should <laughs> give it up. <laughs> and somebody overheard that and said, you mean like a drop in the bucket? And I said, whoa, 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 those are two different things. Because a drop in the bucket over time, you are going to fill that bucket. So that's exactly what we need. We need a lot of drops and everyone contributing. Uh, digging a hole in the ocean is never going to happen. Uh, and if it is digging a hole in the ocean, I'd rather be digging anyway. You know, <laughs> you compare me with my shovel. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I think we need those little victories. Uh, I don't think there's any silver bullet that just solves everything. Michael, success story that you're proud of. Yeah, uh, well, I, I think I'm still searching for it, but uh i i i can i can honestly say uh that that i've been very proud to be involved with pma because i feel like a you know one of those drops i feel like one of the team members right and part of i think what we've been successful you know at pma is developing this community of, of like-minded practitioners and and we've we, you know, we we've, we we got to the point where we hey we've got a, like a special culture here. Let let's kind of define our values. Which in community was one of those respect, dedication, and member led. So we've really got a group of folks that are that are dedicated to solving these problems that we know need to be solved, uh, and are really exchanging information in the community. Like like Ross said with his I met Ross at PLMA. That's that's how we knew me. I met Jenny at PLMA. And so we're really leveraging that network to work as a team to help solve solve the problems. And 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 I guess from you know in the, like from a development perspective, something we've been working on at PLMA is creating opportunities for people to develop themselves by becoming more involved by leaning in to become you know a member of the board of directors or become a member of uh, a planning group or an interest group or to become a co-chair of an interest group to move up to become an executive committee member so 
so on and so forth. And and I myself, I I, I did that. I'm kind of proud of that. I think that's a success. It was just leaning in uh, and engaging more and kind of worked my way up from just, you know, you know, being on the board to launching the education committee, executive committee, and then then eventually becoming an officer as you know as part of this 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 team. Uh, and it, and it's really something, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm proud of from both a personal perspective and from an organizational perspective. That's a very. It might sound like an overused answer, like teamwork is everything. But I'll tell you, in I've done about 150 of these podcasts, and people have not mentioned teamwork, believe it or not, as a great way to make it happen. Because people think about what they're doing because they're individual interviews. So I'm really glad we had multiple people together so we can that we could get that perspective out. I think it's really important. Thank you. Yeah, when you have big problems, you need lots of hands, and the only way to get you know. If, if you're all pulling in the same direction, at least you you make progress that way. So teamwork is huge. Yeah, yeah, I, I love it. Um, so I'm going to change direction a little bit, Jenny. Um, so when you look at the future, I mean, how bad do you think climate change is going to get before we are able to solve it or will we solve it? Um, <laughs> probably. <laughs> The the tongue in cheek answer is um, I I used to do a lot of behavioral or you know organizational behavior stuff and 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 people behave the way they're going to behave until it's too painful to do so. I mean people will do what they're going to do until whatever behavior it is. Um, and so I perhaps I'm a little bit of a pessimist. I think it's going to get worse. And maybe significantly worse before people actually start changing behavior. Um, how bad will it get? Well, I I think the planet will survive. The planet has been through lots of temperature changes over time. The question is whether we're going to be around to see it. Yeah, I I do a little bit of stand up comedy, and it's always involving climate change. All my jokes, and one of the one of my openers is that recently, I forget who it was, I think it was Bill Gates said that, hey, the planet will survive. And like to me, it's like big whoop. I'm not a planet. <laughs> you know, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't do any good. Uh, I had no Michael. idea Bill Gates said that. Oh. Huh? I had Somebody no, said it recently. No it's been said a lot, but I think recently it might have been Bill Gates that, that said it. Yeah. But he, he didn't say it first. Just yeah, most I, recent. I, I don't think that means that we shouldn't be working hard towards a solution. Um, it, as we talk about the many hands, I mean, it, it's going to take a lot of people pulling in the same direction. And I, I also think focus is going to be really important. Um, I think a lot of people are uh, do too many things at once. They either climate change is something that they want for a different reason. Um, but I think. I think we need to actually be focused on on getting the solution instead of too many things all at once. Yeah, agreed. Michael, your thoughts about uh, the future of the planet, future of people? Well, sure. I mean, you you asked, do do you think we'll be able to to solve or figure out a way to mitigate climate change? Uh, uh, and of course, yeah, absolutely. 
I do. I mean, and we already are, right? We already are. It, 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 so it's a question of the extent to which we can mitigate. And of course, I mean, the, the conversation is, well, it, well, it's already too late, right? We, we missed some key targets. So now it's about adaptation too, right? So there, there's a whole bunch of time, effort, and money now spent on preparing and adapting for what we know is, is to come. I, I wish I was... I wish I was more of an expert on exactly how high the sea levels are going to rise and, you know, how many millions of people are going to be displaced already with, with, without us not being able to do too much about it. But so, uh, right, we, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't lean in and double down on whatever we can do uh, to mitigate. Right. I, I think that's what, what what we've got to do. Yeah, it'll get pretty bad, but that doesn't mean we we shouldn't all keep working as hard as we can on, on the mitigation efforts. Yeah, got to got to keep shuffling or at least <laughs> contributing drops. <laughs> that's right. Because without yeah. it, it only gets worse. Yeah. If we don't keep working. Yeah, I don't think there's an option. Ross, your thoughts on this? Couple answers um, to that. I, I, I today I, I just read the the annual report for the Rocky Mountain Institute RMI, and you take a look at that thing, and you see that both Europe and the U.S. you know the the energy intensity is sort of flattening out, maybe a little bit less, and then you see China. And, and and it's on an exponential curve still. So I, I, my my belief is until we until we can rein in or until we can get China and we can get India in the boat, you know, we're fighting losing battle. But it doesn't it, mean we shouldn't fight, right? Doesn't mean we shouldn't fight. But I mean, yeah. you, you said how bad can it get? Yeah. It's not going to get appreciably better until we until we get the other global economies in the boat with us. Um, the second thing that that I'll say is, and, and this is. Um, this is for me is deja, deja vu all over again. Back, back, if you remember back in 2004 with the, with the ARRA funding for the Obama and, yeah. and, and, and all you and utilities and you were one of them probably were rushing to see how, how fast we can buy meters at half price. <laughs> right. <clears throat> and, and it was all about the hardware. And I was screaming at the top of my lungs at the time. It isn't about the hardware. It's about the data. And, and, and we, we put a, in a, a bunch of hardware out there that actually became more like boat anchors. They, they, they didn't get the job done. I feel we're on a very similar trajectory right now with, with the, uh, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act and, and, and the, uh, the way we're, we're doing electrification right now. In fact, one of the things that at PLMA we're taking a look at is how do we, how do we harmonize you know, the, the, the electrified transportation industry and the grid? Because right now they're not, they're not, they're, they're, they're not on a convergent course. And we, we and we absolutely need to have, be able to have communication, coordination, control between between those those two, and and we went, and we're a long ways away from that. So I think you know if we if we took in my my view is if we took a breath and make sure we're we're doing the right thing, not not just doing it fast, but doing it fast and right. Yeah, you. Uh, we were guilty. <laughs> we we didn't we didn't win our ARA grant. I I helped put it together. It was pretty exciting. We had every every officer in the company, well, an SCG signed it, and we thought we had a great two hundred million dollar ask, uh, but uh, we didn't get it. So, but we probably would have had a lot of data that we didn't do anything with if we did. 
we already already started our smart meter program, so yeah. so we didn't ask for that. Um, so what advice do you have? And you can be PLMA centric, or you could go at, you know off the board a little bit. But what advice do you have for people that want to help mitigate climate change? And uh, yeah, we'll start with Michael. Oh, okay. Well, since you since you invited me, I'll I'll be a little bit PLMA centric first. Look, if if you don't know who PLMA is, learn a little bit more about us and 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 come to the conference. Uh, you know, come to some of our our interest groups. You know, that's the 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 first set of advice I would have is at least understand what our role is and what you know the role of demand flexibility and integrating renewables and, and climate change is even if you're not an expert even even if that isn't your niche at least to learn you know what that resource is uh and then i, I guess to, to follow up on that you know from a from a personal perspective is well we'll find your niche right it, it's such a it, right it's such a huge Fight, like I mentioned before, with so many different aspects, and every, I mean, you just can't. You can't be an expert in all of them, right? So, so, so find your piece, you know, and lean in, and just right, do your best at, at what it is that you do best is is really kind of my my advice. Yeah, and Ross. So you know the the thing that that I I I look at is. Um, you know, the, the, we, throw, we throw around the term ESG a lot, and, and I see a lot of corporate America that's, that's, that's sort of, you know, in my, in my mind is still kind of greenwashing ESG. And I think the, 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 one of the things that, that, that we can do positively in this country is we, we set some standards on, on, how, on how you measure that, that, that ESG and, 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 and that with the Securities Exchange Commission and, and public companies that, that, that actually you know, want to achieve, achieve um, net carbon. I, I, I get concerned when I start seeing companies starting to walk back commitments they've made. You know, and I'll, I'll, certain oil companies shall remain nameless, <laughs> but we're, we're certain that, that had com- committed to a date certain for zero carbon, and I'm not sure they're going to they're make that now. So I think it, it's it's holding holding public companies uh, to their feet to the fire, and that's that's us as shareholders doing that, and 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 the public. Yeah, yeah, that's you know money. You know, there's money there, and that's why it's hard to hold their feet to the fire. Yeah, it, it was it was you know you you know the, you see the the recent acquisition by Chevron in in Texas, and you go wow, you know that's. How, how how are you going to achieve net carbon net, net zero carbon when you're making a, a, a many billion dollar acquisition in the reserves? Yeah, I was just I just thought of an analogy to that. Uh, basically, oil and gas is like the cash cow. I was with a company, a technology company in Silicon Valley back in the '80s, early '90s, and yes, we knew we were going to phase out these old big machines and we we're going to move towards smaller machines, but we sold as many as we could, <laughs> you know, while while that was something that could still be sold. And I just think this is an example of that. And it's definitely getting in the way, making progress. Now, Jen, Jenny, advice. Advice from me would be do what you can when you can. Um, and thinking specifically about PLMA organization, um, this is an organization that is, it is volunteer driven. Um, 
the the number of staff that are part of this organization is very small, smaller than one handful of fingers. Um, but all of the work that gets done gets done by volunteers, and um, we all have time to do something. We don't always have a lot of time. Sometimes we have more than than less. But uh, this is a place you can make a difference. You can make a difference for the entire industry by contributing your knowledge, your time, your talent. So in the PLMA world, that's that's one place you can make a difference. I think outside of PLMA, um, you, there are small things that we can all do every day. Um, and, uh, you know, back to my, my you know, no, no gigantic thing that I'm proud of, but it's a lot of the small wins um, and the incremental changes that we can make individually, I think, will end up making a large difference overall. When I lived in San Diego, I had solar on my roof. First of all, it was a very good business case, but second of all, it made me feel like I was helping. And I moved to Washington recently and the roof and the economics, it, it's not a little thing that I feel like I could do. You know, I feel it, it would be very difficult and be a financial hit. So instead I looked around and I did find like a fund where they build solar other places where there is a positive business case. And I invested in that instead just to do something, you know, something that actually have the capability to do. Uh, somebody I know is trying to buy, was talking about why they can't use an electric vehicle because they don't have a way to charge. That's very easy. And I said, they don't buy an electric vehicle, but there are hybrids out there. There are ways of making a difference for everybody. Um, so I don't, I, I'm a little bit nervous about doing this, but on my podcast, I always open it up to my guest singular uh, to ask me um, any question they want. And it's a little bit dangerous with three of you here, but uh, I'd be happy to uh, answer any questions if you have them. Well, well, I do. I, I, Lee, I think I think we'll we'll, we'll turn it ar around, right? You uh, have now done what 149 or 150 to make 150 um, of these podcasts. You probably started to notice some general trends, and and you've probably developed a a short list of advice. Well, for an organization like PLMA, you know, understanding that, you know, as I described the types of members that, that we have on how we're trying to get the message out there about how demand flexibility is one of these tools that, that you need to be cognizant of and, and, and learn about, what would you be your advice to to us, right, as, as an organization for recruiting more like-minded individuals or letting other folks know what what our role is uh in decarbonization it looks like you're growing pretty well from what i saw <laughs> so uh i'm a little jealous i'm with a number of organizations and we don't have those kind of numbers so congratulations about that you must be doing something right already but you know selfishly i'm going to answer it this way i think you can tie it to climate change and of course, there's other benefits. There's money saving, energy savings, right? There's a lot of other reasons. But I think there are lots of forums where the message of how it helps with climate change will go over very well. Give me examples of that and communicating that clearly. I'm, uh, I'm, I helped launch a company a few years ago where they reduce data storage. And I have this rule. I don't want to spend my time on things that aren't climate related because I only have so much time. And it's the issue that I'm passionate about. But this person said, well, 
isn't less data storage, doesn't that help with climate change? And I actually dug in, it's less energy, it's less, if you can reduce the amount of data storage drives, less shipping costs, less construction costs, manufacturing costs, there's less electricity, less HVAC. So there's an incredible number of ways that it helps mitigate climate change, but he wasn't talking about those until I asked, and now we've developed a little pitch together. So I think developing a good climate change pitch in addition to the other pitches that you have, and not maybe you already have done that, but I think that's a that can be very helpful, especially with people understanding more and more about what's going on with the planet. So Lee, I, as you know, I'm I'm a really big fan of the climate champions and and the work that 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 you do, and I've sort of got uh, two two questions for you. Uh, um, you know, I I know that that it you know putting producing the climate champions isn't free. Um, <laughs> it costs it costs money, and and I know that 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 you you are not so much of a self promoter here, but I do. I do know maybe you could you could say a few words about sponsorship of of the climate champions and what that what that what that means, um, and uh, uh, and also I, I have a question for you. Last year I know you went you were you were at Distribute Tech and actually did a um, um, you know a a man on the street so to speak in, in interviews with with uh, with exhibitors there. Are you are you planning to be at Distribute Tech again because a number of our our, our members will be there. Well, you put a lot of questions in there at once, and I'm too old to remember all of them, but you can remind me as we get to them. I think first you walked in, asked about sponsorship, and first I want to let everybody know Ross has been very helpful to me. He wants to see the success of the Climate Champions, and I really appreciate that very much. Yeah, so um, there are different, I mean, I'm not going to get into a lot of details. There are different sponsorship levels based on how many episodes you want to sponsor and how long you kind of want your tagline to be at the beginning of each episode. Um, also, you get to help choose podcast guests. So again, depending on the level and how many you've committed to, you get to choose a different number of podcast guests. And I'm willing to work at other exchanges as well. I'm really not, <laughs> Ross doesn't like me to say this, but I'm really not in it for the money. So the biggest thing that I'm looking for is to expand listenership and expand the message and have all the great things you are saying get out there to as many people as possible so that's really the focus uh, sponsorship is just one way to to help do that and to help pay the bills a bit uh, with regards to distributech yes i'll be there i'll also be at grid connect i hope i'm allowed to plug grid connect uh, in december i'll be interviewing gene rodriguez uh, assistant department assistant director of department of energy uh, i do that every year over hot sauce so uh, we call it the hot seat. And I had Jigger Shaw a couple of years ago, a con congressperson last year. Um, so that's going to be a lot of fun. That's December 5th that I, I'm doing that in Washington live and kind of a live episode like this, but actually in person. And then uh, I will definitely be a distributech. I'm on the advisory board there. And I, I love that. I've been there doing that for many, many, many years. And yeah, I'll be interviewing people that have booths. Anybody wants me to interview them, let me know. I Again, I don't charge anything for that. I just do it because it's a lot of fun. And I like, number one, helping Distributech advertise uh, beforehand. And then afterwards, kind of sum, summing it up a bit. I did get hired by a company and maybe a second uh, to specifically focus on their employees and their messages. And I do some videos for them. It's just iPhone videos. 
<laughs> I don't do anything complicated, but I think they came out pretty good. If anybody's interested, I could definitely send you those. They're all on LinkedIn uh, is, where, is where I put them. Uh, Russ, is that what you wanted me to talk about? Right on. Oh, talk about teamwork and meeting and networking, which is Michael talked about that here and this organization uh, last year. Also, the suggestion of Ross, I'm going to admit, I did get uh, a group called the Climate Champions. It's a LinkedIn group I started. I got people together and we had about 30 people that came uh, last year. And I think the best part of it was different people that are focused on this issue all met and talked to each other and are now working together. So we created a bit of a team, uh, just everybody getting together at Distributech. So I might be doing that again this year and you can look for that as well. Yeah. <clears throat> Jenny, any question? You don't have to have one. It's not, it, not well, a big deal. <laughs> I, I do. So continuing with the, the small actions, you know, done together, make big changes. So there's a good number of people on, on this call so what what the, and we'll listen to it afterwards so what one thing should we all do besides manage our our electronic storage um what one thing should we do when we get off of off of this call today that you think would make a difference overall yeah i'm not trying to be political here but the the best answer i get when i ask that question is people need to at least think about this issue when they vote because that makes a big difference and that's what I'll say on that specific thing you could do. I also mentioned EVs and hybrid vehicles. I think that just thinking about what you drive and trying to do better when you purchase your next vehicle uh, can be very helpful because that is very damaging to the planet. And the thing I think is hardest. So people say not to mention this because everybody's done it already. And I'm sure on this call everybody has. But LED light bulbs. I mean, I know people that still haven't moved and it's great light and it's lasts forever. You don't have to change the bulb. So that's one. The hardest, and that's easy. The hardest one is diet and uh, beef specifically is a big drain on the planet. And I know that people have a hard time giving up beef. I do as well. Uh, and just, I know people that do a Monday without meat, for example, you know, just trying to at least move in that direction. Uh, I did some research and you know, some of the foods it looks like aren't as bad for the environment. So like chicken isn't as bad, fish isn't as bad. Beef is really the big one. So if you can reduce it, that's probably a big thing that people can do. That was more than one. Sorry about that. <clears throat> okay. So it's always someone asked good a to question. have options. <clears throat> what? It's always good to have options. Yeah. Yeah. Judy? I was going to invite you, Lee, to summarize all of these really <laughs> okay. interesting points and put you on the hot seat here for PLMA. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, uh, if we are uh, running out of time here, then I will wrap this up and I will wrap it up with a wrap. Michael had a book that opened his eyes. It was the book, the prize. Russ says the cleanest megawatt ever is the one you don't generate. No, never. Jenny has this very great rule. Follow the work. That is cool. And maybe this can be a subject of a meme, but we can do a lot more when we work as a team. We're not gonna solve climate change by hocus, 
Hopes we able to look at the little things and focus. Listen, <laughs> it was great being here. The conversation was boss. Thank you so much, Jenny, Judy, Michael, and Ross. <laughs> <laughs> Two thumbs up. <laughs> Outstanding. Thank you. Thank you very much. Lee, that was just exceptional. We have never had somebody close or even open with a wrap on PLMA webinars before. So you have set a new high bar and a new precedent. So thank you wow. for a terrific conversation. It was fantastic. Indeed it was. Well, uh, yeah, thank you. High bar or low oh. bar, we don't know. <laughs> we're going to call it the high bar. Um, we're also going to say a big thank you to Ross and Michael and Jenny for this very compelling set of questions and answers and the ideas you all brought to the forefront today. I think there's some really thoughtful big things and also day-to-day -day things, which I'm excited about and I have written down as well. So let's move on and let me say that if you enjoyed this webinar and you would like to share it with colleagues or friends, it will be available on PLMA's Load Management Dialogue podcast, which you can download from wherever you get your podcasts. In addition, we will also uh, add this particular webinar to PLMA's YouTube channel, which you can find online and you'll be able to watch the video version of it. Next, I want to highlight PLMA's final webinar before our 48th conference. It's going to be a virtual meetup with our interest group, sorry, our affinity group, Women in DM. And the affinity group, Women in DM, is about to kick off a four-part series called Embracing Your Potential. And what that session is going to do is help people start thinking a little bit about career strategies. So it is open to PLMA members as well as people who will be at the PLMA conference that's coming up in Charlotte. And when we get to Charlotte, Women in DM will do actually a workshop that will follow this webinar, which uh, actually takes place on November 1st. You can sign up for that, of course, on PLMA's calendar, and you can see the link below. And then finally, let me also flag that we are less than two weeks away from the 48th PLMA conference in Charlotte. It will be November 6th to November 8th. It will be our biggest conference ever, and it will include a lot of in-depth discussions on all sorts of topics. It's everything from demand response to the distributed energy resources, pricing, customer engagement, managed charging, DERs, and so much more. The other really enjoyable part about PLMA conferences is there is a lot of very enjoyable, fun, and productive networking opportunities. And so let me close by saying that there's still time to register, and we hope that you will consider joining this conference for um, some minds changing and advancing conversations that will help all of us and all of the goals that we all have around climate change, as well as the things we're trying to do within our own organizations to move the needle forward with DR and DERs. And so thank you for everyone who joined us today. We appreciate it. That's a wrap for today. And finally, let me say good afternoon. You've been listening to a load management dialogue presented by PLMA. To learn about upcoming dialogues and for an archive of past recordings, please visit our website, peakload.org, or your favorite podcast platform. And this concludes this edition. Thank you, everybody, and good afternoon. <laughs>